This morning, we're going we're gonna to finish up our series entitled Extreme Makeover. And we have looked at and, and, and hopefully given you a, a new, a, a fresh perspective on the Ten Commandments and, and then the, the Two Commandments in the New Testament. You know, oftentimes when people think about God, they, they think about God as being this, this somewhat of an ogre, right? This big bloodshot eyeball in the sky, lightning bolt in hand, waiting to zap us if we do something wrong. And, and they're, they're convinced that, that Christianity is all about what you cannot do, right? Don't smoke, don't dance, don't drink, don't chew, don't hang around with those that do. And, and, and that's kind of the, the, the philosophy of what Christianity is. I, last week, I had the opportunity to, to have a, just a great connection with one of the young men that was helping to lay the vinyl flooring. And he said, oh, my grandma's Christian, but I, I, I'm not a Christian. And I said, why not? And he goes, because I'm not ready to stop having fun. Seriously, Anthony. And Anthony goes, I'm, I'm just, I'm not ready to stop having fun. And I know that I'm doing wrong. And I know that if I, if I give my life to God, then I can't do the wrong. And the wrong is so much fun. That's a, that's a lie that the enemy wants us to believe. That's a lie that the enemy wants us to embrace. Last night, we have some, some, uh, some dear friends that are visiting, visiting us from out of town. It's a, just a delight to have uh, Scott and Veronica Kemp with us. And uh, guys, thanks for coming and hanging out with us. But we, we went out to dinner last night and they shared the specials that they had for happy hour. I've never done this before. I don't even know what possessed me to do it in the moment. But I, I asked the food server, I said, I, said, I, I said, I want you to help me with something. I said, all of your happy hour specials, they're all liquor. I said, what about those of us that don't drink? And she goes, well, you can have free refills on your soda. Why don't you give me that already? And I said, really, if I need liquor for it to be happy hour, it's not very happy, is it? That's just an observation. But this, this life that God offers, it's, it's, it's a life of relationship. And, and even when you look at the, the rules, the rules aren't designed to keep you down. They're designed to keep you safe. The rules that God gives us, they're guardrails. And, and here's what I have discovered. I've discovered this. If I'm driving down a road and there's danger and there's no protection, there's anxiety. But when there's, when there's substantial guardrails there, I know that I can navigate that road with speed. I know that I can navigate that road without a whole lot of fear because there are there are systems and there are things in place to keep me from harm. And, and what, what God has done is, is God has designed this life for us to keep us from harm and to help us function in healthy relationship. And so when you look at the commandments, the commandments are all about not a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's about how we relate to one another. The first three of the Ten Commandments are all about our relationship with God. And God says this. He says, listen, it's, in, it's very important that you, that you have your priorities right. And that foundation is a relationship with God. You should have no other gods before me. You, you shouldn't even have that stuff in my presence, God says, and I'm always there. He talks to us about, about how, to, how to rightly connect with him. Don't make any graven images. Don't, don't get caught up in, in unhealthy worship. Don't, don't, don't worship things. Don't worship worship. And he, and he said, says, I want you to reverence me properly. Don't, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Then, then he, he, he gives us that, that, that bridge between the vertical relationship, the relationship between God and us, and the horizontal relationships, the relationships that we have with one another, when he talks about how we handle our time, 
right? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And recognize this, that man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. God gave us this margin in our life to where we're not constantly worried because more people are worn out by worry than they are by work. And if the devil can't make you bad, friend, he'll make you busy. Then the last of the Ten Commandments, they, they'll deal with the relationships, the relationships that we have with one another. Starts with the family. Honor your father and your mother. Then it goes into the way that we act around one another and, and, and being careful that you don't get caught up in judgmentalism and jealousy. God gave us these commandments and, and we tend to focus on the ten. And then in the New Testament, Jesus was asked this question, what's the most important commandment? And he said, the most important commandment is this, love God. With everything that you are, with everything that you have, love God. We talked about that last week. If you didn't have an opportunity to be here, you can, you can get a copy of the CD uh, at the Media Center. You can, you can view it online. We talked about how we're to connect with God, how we're to love God, worship, focused adoration towards God. And he says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to, this morning, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 19. I, I want to I talk to you about what life would be like if Jesus lived at my house. Luke chapter 19. It's going to be a familiar story. Husband is there with his wife as she is working through the pains of labor. It's been nine months of anticipation. Nine months of excitement and nine months of anxiety. And finally, the time has come. He places a, a wet washcloth on her forehead as she breathes through yet another contraction. Finally, finally, the sound of a baby's voice crying that in days to come will cause the hair on the back of their neck to stand up. But in this moment, that cry brings a sense of joy and an overwhelming sense of love as they welcome into the world a newborn baby boy. They've thought about it. They've talked about it. If it's a girl, we will name her. If it's a boy, we will name him. And this, this family, this, this godly family, this family committed to the principles of God's kingdom, they, they name their son a word that in their language means pure. They look at him. He, he looks big and strong. They will raise him to have an understanding of godly principles. They will raise him to be a man of godly character. But somewhere along the way, life takes a detour. Somewhere in his stepping from boyhood into adulthood, he gets lost. And when we're introduced to him in Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus is not a name that we would connect with pure. 
He is a traitor to his people. He's a cheat even to those who are closest to him. And yet something inside of him, it's that God-shaped vacuum that we all have that only Jesus can fill. Something inside of him when he hears that this man Jesus, this man that some claim to be the Messiah, that many acknowledge at least to be a prophet, that he's going to be passing through his town, the town of Jericho. He's curious. And in the story of Zacchaeus, I'm convinced of this, that God gives us a window of what life would be like if Jesus lived at my house, if Jesus lived at your house. Luke 19.9, Jesus makes this declarative, today Salvation has come to this house. God, I, I, I thank you today for your word. I pray that you would speak to us through your word. God, reveal to us what it is that you want to say in this moment. And we commit this time to you. In the wonderful, and the mighty, and the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Luke, the 19th chapter, records this. It says that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, pure. He was a chief tax collector, which means that he was a pawn for the Roman government and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but... Being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter. I love that word, <laughs> mutter. There's no mistaking what they're talking about, right? They're muttering. Have you ever done that? Have you ever muttered? Have you ever had someone mutter about you? Right? They muttered. There he goes again. Okay. And we know this. They, they, they didn't just mutter. Because a few, a few chapters earlier in Luke chapter 15, these same people, they're murmuring. Okay? So they're murmurers and mutterers. Say that three times fast. Murmurers and mutterers. Just say what you want to say, big sissy. <laughs> Muttering, la, 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 right? Muttering. All the people began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Oh. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of everything I have, half of all my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. He makes a statement because that's what the law declares. If you have cheated someone, you're to pay them four, four times the amount. And Jesus responds and says, today salvation has come to this house. 
Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. In the 1990s, there was this, this craze that went through evangelical Christianity. And anyone who was a real Christian wore a rubber band that had the letters WWJD on it. Right? I know you all had it, and you all looked down on the people that didn't. Right? How could you not have it? How, can you not, how could you not embrace WWJD? It's what's going to change the world. And, and here, here is my issue with WWJD. It focused on activity and not on the disposition of the heart. And, and so once we, had, once we had been there, done that, got the t-shirt, we were able to take the rubber band off and toss it somewhere. Do, do any of you remember even where your WWJD bracelet is now? When, when, this, when this connection with God is something that we do and not something that we are, it will always eventually fail because there will always be something that will vie for our attention and our allegiance. If Jesus lived at my house, it's not an activity in the moment, it's a lifestyle. What would it look like if Jesus lived in my house? How would he relate to the people in my subdivision? What would he say to that person whose dog barks incessantly? <laughs> or the neighbor that likes to sit outside and smoke? Or the person who you're convinced has more speakers in their car than we have in the sanctuary. <laughs> Goes beyond my house. What, 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 would, what would Jesus say if he worked in my cubicle? How would Jesus respond if he sat next to me in school? It, it, it could be any environment we're in where we have people around us who are, who are very far from God. What lessons do we learn from Jesus? I, 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 think, we learn, I think we learn five lessons. And I, I want to give those to you this morning. Number one is this. Before Jesus talked to my neighbors about God, he would talk to God about my neighbors. He taught this principle over and over and over again. The, the importance of prayer. And, and I, I, will, I, will, I will challenge you with this. You start praying for someone every day it will change your disposition. You start praying not about somebody, but for them, it'll change your view. And Jesus, before he did anything of significance, he would always go to the Father and he would pray. And it's interesting that, that Jesus' prayers... almost always focused on people. Even, even his death on the cross, 
right? What does Jesus cry out? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And, and, and if you look at that in, in the original language, it gives the impression that he said that not just once, but that he said it over and over again. Can you imagine that? With each pound of the nail, Father, forgive them. As the, as the crowns are going, the crown of thorns are going on his head, Father, forgive them. And in that, in that time that he's being brutally beaten and dying a horrific death over and over again, the prayer that he prays is, Father, forgive them. Friend, prayer will change your connection with God and it will change your connection with others. And we, we, have, we have got to be in the business of praying for the people around us. Some of you are here and you have a son or a daughter, a best friend from college, maybe a mom or dad, and, and they're very far from God and, and, and maybe you've, you've lost hope. I want to I challenge you. Don't give up hope. Pray consistently. Pray specifically. Pray fervently. In fact, I'm going to I'm going to challenge you at the end of the service today to allow God to bring three people, three people to the forefront of your mind. I'm going to challenge you to write those three names down. And I'm going to commission you to pray for them, not for their behavior, not for the things about their personality or activity that you don't like. This is not about seeing people change for our benefit. Isn't it amazing that God connected with people right where they're at? And isn't it remarkable that Zacchaeus didn't have to shift his character or even his commitment for there to be a connection? Even the slightest curiosity, God says, that's good enough. That's good enough. That's the reason why I will tell you, I pray every Sunday, I pray, God, bring the skeptics. Bring them, God. Even, those, even the people that want to question everything that we do, everything that we say, bring them, God. Because as long as there's a curiosity, there's an opportunity. As long as there's a question, there's an open door. And I'm not praying that God changes my neighbor. I'm not, I'm not praying that God changes my loved one. I'm, I'm praying that he connects with them. Because that's the key. The key is the connection. And God can connect even where there's simply curiosity. But we should pray. 
In fact, I asked you to turn to Luke 19, just a, 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 a chapter earlier, Luke 18. It tells us this in Luke 18, that Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And we need to follow that model. We need to make a commitment to pray and not give up. Jesus lived in my house before he talked to my neighbors about God. He would talk to God about my neighbors. If Jesus lived in my house, he would, he would show compassion and concern. Right? Jesus walks up to where Zacchaeus is. He walks up to the spot. He looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus. Now, we know from Scripture, because this is the only place in, in the entire Bible where Jesus tells three stories in a row, that this issue of having compassion and concern is, a, is very important. In fact, take your Bible and turn from, from Luke chapter 19. Go back four chapters to Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories in a row to make the exact same point. Okay, and you'll see it here in Luke chapter 15. And, and he tells a story about a sheep that's wandered away. He, he tells a, the story about a widow who has lost a coin. Uh, and he tells a story about a father whose son has took his inheritance early and, and moved out to pursue wine, women, and song. Okay? And it says this, starting in, 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 in Luke 15, verse 1. It says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew, new to, drew near to him uh, to hear him. So it shouldn't surprise us that he reaches out to Zacchaeus, right? Because he's done this before. Luke chapter 15. And the Pharisees murmured. This man receives sinners and eats with them. And Jesus responds to him. And he tells these three parables. He says, what shepherd? If he had a hundred sheep and one goes wandering off, wouldn't, wouldn't leave the 99 to go after the one. That's compassion. That's concern. That's not criticism. It's not condemnation. It's compassion and concern. He tells the story of a woman that loses a coin. It's a significant part of her inheritance. He tells the story of the prodigal son. And the father's response when the son returns. And, and here's, here's what we learn from, from Luke, chapter, Luke chapter 15. Notice this. Luke 15, 7, he says this. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repeats than over 99 persons who need no repentance or believe that they need no repentance. Verse number 10, as he finishes up the story of the woman who lost a coin and looks and gets all her neighbors to help her and, 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 and they look and they find it, right? Luke 15, 10, likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he tells the story of the, the prodigal son. I, 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 I love, I love Luke 15, 20, because if, if you want to know the character of God, if you want to know the heart of God, there it is. The son was disrespectful to the father. 
He was selfish. He demanded what he, what, what, what he felt was his. He took it and he squandered it. And life went really sideways for this young man. And eventually, as he's, as he's there living with pigs, eating with the pigs, eat, sleeping with the pigs, he came to his senses. If you've ever spent any time around pigs, it has an impact on your senses. I just I imagine he's just there and he's like, wow. I never imagined when, when, when my father gave me that money that I would end up here. The amazing thing about hog dust, it's almost impossible to get off you. I, I helped a gentleman build a hog confinement one time. It was a nightmare experience. We were actually, we, we didn't build a whole confinement, uh, hog confinement. We were, we were roofing, putting a new roof on the top of this hog confinement where they had these little piglets in it. All along, these pigs were running back and forth underneath. It was just squealing, going crazy. I, I thought I was going to lose my mind. And um, some, some might say that I did. But, but at the end of the day, I was like, I didn't even touch any of the pigs and I smell like pigs. And then I seriously, I would have weeks later, I'd be doing something and I would just touch my hand in a certain way and it would release some like hog dust that had gotten underneath a fingernail or something like that. And you're like, why does it smell like pigs in here? It just, it has a, it has a lingering effect. It has, a, it's quite the perfume. And, and so he's there and he's in the midst of all that. And he's like, my father's servants don't have it this bad. I'm no longer worthy to be a member of my father's household. That's, that's what guilt and shame does, right? And recognize this, friend. There are people all around you that the enemy has convinced that they somehow have lived their life to such a degree that they've disqualified themselves from ever being connected to God. If we operate in judgmentalism, think about how we reinforce that. If we say that you've got to jump through hoops to reconnect, think about how we reinforce that. In stark contrast, look at the posture of the father. It says this, that the son said, you know what, I'm no longer worthy to be a member of my father's household, but if I go and just tell him, I'll just be one of your servants, maybe he'll take me back. So he goes, he's got his speech ready. Luke 19 tells us this, tells us this in, in, in the 20th verse. That he arose and came to his father, but while he was still yet a long way off, the father sees him, runs to him. And what is the father's response? He fell on his neck and he kissed him. His rebellious smelly, pig-smelling son. He fell on his neck and he kissed him. The son begins to talk. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't get through his speech. The father says, no, 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 no. Bring the best robe, put it on my son. Sandals for his feet, a ring for his hand. Understand what he is offering there. We're going to celebrate 
No? Okay, son, offer full confession. Okay, swear to me. Swear to me you'll never do it again. Arms open wide. He runs to his son and he embraces him. Compassion and concern. Compassion and concern. Compassion and concern. He who is without sin, she who is without sin, can cast the first stone. See, if Jesus lived at my house, before he talked to my neighbors about God, he would talk to God about my neighbors, and he would have compassion and concern for them. Jesus had something to do. He had some place to be. He was on his way to Jerusalem, and he understood it was for that cause he had been born. He was determined to get to Jerusalem. He had to get there. No prophet, he said, should die outside Jerusalem. And he was on his way to redeem all of mankind. And on his way to redeem all of mankind, he had no problem with pausing and going, I know that this is important. I understand this is a big deal, but this man matters to me. He wouldn't just show compassion and concern. He would invest time. He would invest time. It's so easy for our neighbors, for our coworkers, for our colleagues, our friends, even our family members to go, I think Bill's a Christian, but I'm not sure. I see him pray over meals, um, and I think he goes to church on Sunday. Um, I don't know. I guess he's kind of religious. I don't know a whole lot about him because Bill spends all of his time with his, with his Christian friends. You know, what, you know what Jesus teaches us in Luke chapter 15? He teaches us this, that that which is lost is valuable. Number one. Number two, he teaches us this, that it, it warrants an all-out search. Let me tell you about a guy by the name of Jack Sternberg. Jack Sternberg grew up in a, a Jewish home in the Northeast and he was an atheist, didn't even believe in the Jewish faith of his parents. And he ended up being a doctor in Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, a cancer specialist. And he had a patient who was a, a Christian, Janine. And, uh, and I, 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 want you to, I want you to read about what uh, he wrote about, or I hear about rather what he wrote about uh, uh, this one. And uh, he made this statement. He said, one woman with terminal breast cancer who was in her early 30s, with a husband and a young child was very soon to to pass away. Husband would be widowed, child would be motherless. And, And Dr. Sternberg wrote this. He said, terrible situation. Yet, he said, she seemed more concerned about my spiritual warfare and my knowing Jesus than in the fact that she was dying. She saw my lostness my separation from God as a greater tragedy than her own illness. She trusted this Jesus in the moment and for eternity. God had somehow allowed this sickness to ravage her. 
yet she still worshipped and followed him. She seemed confident about her future. She seemed confident about her end. She seemed genuinely concerned about mine. He says, that overwhelmed me. And it was, it was that concern that caused Jack Sternberg to bend his knees and receive Jesus Christ as his forgiver. See, if Jesus lived in my house, he would talk to God about my neighbors before he talked to my neighbors about God. And he would have compassion and concern for them, not critique and criticism. He, he, would, he would love his neighbors enough to invest time in them. It's interesting to me that Jesus says this about Zacchaeus. I must stay at your house today. Now, I, I can understand if Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I need to talk to you for a minute. Zacchaeus, we need to discuss some of your choices, friend. Zacchaeus, I want you to explain to me how you got so far from pure. That's not what Jesus says. I must. I must. I must stay at your house. Why? Because God loves people more than anything. And God didn't see a tax collector, a cheat. He didn't see a, a lackey for the Roman uh, oligarchy. That's not what he saw. He saw that little boy that grew up in a godly home. Who knew the law. Whose parents had such high hopes for him. They named him Zacchaeus. Pure. Jesus also knew that it wasn't just his parents that hopes for him and plans for him and dreams for him. Jesus also knew this, that the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. And that God has a plan for each and every life, for each and every soul. You see, Jesus knew that Zacchaeus' destiny was to eventually become the first bishop of the church in Caesarea. It's a part of the story that many are not familiar with. Reality is this. To name a child Zacchaeus today, some people might pause. But to name your child pure. To name your child after one of the early church fathers, that seems pretty admirable. Unfortunately, all too often what we do is we focus on the negative. And when we focus on Zacchaeus, we don't focus on a redeemed child of God, do we? We don't focus on a a boy who grew up pure. We tend to get lost in his detour in the middle. 
and, and Jesus recognized his lostness and said, there's nothing more important on my agenda than helping you get back on the path that God has for you. Because if Jesus lived at my house, he wouldn't just share his faith. He'd show it. In other words, talk is cheap. It's very easy to say, I love my neighbor. It's very easy to say, I love the world. Jesus went to his house knowing that the people would mutter. Why? Because four chapters earlier, they murmured. And Jesus said, I, I, I need to be involved. I need, I need to be invested. I, I need to be engaged. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He says, don't hide your light. Don't hide your light. Let it shine for all. Let, let your good deeds glow for all to see. And when they see that, they will say God is good. Right? A scripture that we, we taught our children and that I do my best to live by. Paul wrote this in Philippians 2. He said, do everything. Do everything. Say that word with me. Everything. Come on, you can do it. Everything. One more time. Everything. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Some of you, a little bit of conviction just set in because you said the word everything and then complaining and arguing, right? Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become, okay, as God does this, this, this renewing work in you, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God. Because you are called to shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. See, if Jesus lived at my house, he wouldn't just share his faith, he would show it. He wouldn't just talk about it, he would live it. I was having a conversation with one of my neighbors yesterday. In fact, I'm going I'm to digress for a moment. I want to talk to you about the issue of spiritual warfare. And I want to talk to you for a moment about the power of God. Last Sunday, just about the time that we were starting church, three, three individuals were attempting to break into my house. We know this because the neighborhood, community, uh, the neighborhood uh, security cameras caught them. So we have vi video footage of them. We have video, video footage of them walking around the neighborhood. We have video footage of them casing my house and jumping over my fence. They smashed the back door of my house. They attempted to get in my back door. Somehow the back door held. I'm telling you, it's God that this glass door held together. And it's God that they did not press on and press through. And, and, and he, here's, here's what's even more interesting. So we, we, have a pretty, we have a pretty good security system in our house. And um, the fact that the glass didn't break the glass breaking would have set off the alarm. The door opening would have set off the alarm. 
But I want you to imagine what would have happened to me if at about 10.35 last Sunday morning, my phone buzzes and tells me that somebody's breaking into my house. Make it kind of tough to get up and preach, don't you think? And yet God was protecting me and God was protecting what, what is to happen in this place. We serve a very big God. So I'm not, listen, I, I'm, I'm a guy that I have to die to my flesh daily. I, I, I don't have it all together. But I was talking to one of my neighbors and I said, you know, I said, it's, it's heartbreaking to me that somebody, somebody feels the need to break into another person's house. I said, you know, two things, if they, if they understood this. Number one is, is our house may look nice on the outside, but we don't have a whole lot of stuff that they'd want to take. You know, we're not jewelry people. We're not, I just, there's just not a whole lot in there. Um, I mean, they could take some Bibles, I guess, and, and uh, you know, have a good time with those. My Honey Nut Cheerios. That would be depressing. Come home and somebody's taking all my Honey Nut Cheerios. But I said, you know, if they knew me and they understood, if they just knocked on my door, if they had, if they had need, I'll give them whatever I have. If you have legitimate need, I'll... I will help you. And, and my neighbor said this. And there are times that I, I, let me say this, there are times that I don't like people knowing that I'm a pastor. Because oftentimes they'll dismiss what I do. Oh, you do that because you're a pastor. But my neighbor said, I can't, can't understand why you're not more angry. He goes, I'd want to hunt him down with a gun. And he says, oh, yeah, that's right, you're a pastor. And I said, no, no, no. I said, most of my pastor friends would be out there with a gun. Um, <laughs> I said, you know, something, I said, I guarantee you this. These young men that attempted to break into my house, this was never the plan for their parents. When they were born, their parents didn't go, man, I hope we're raising some thugs. <laughs> but here's what they need. They need people praying for them. They need people showing compassion and concern. They need people who will invest time in them and people who, wouldn't, who won't just share their faith, that they'll show it. Finally, and I close with this. If Jesus lived in my house, he'd take spiritual risks for the sake of his neighbors. I've heard people talk about the character of God in such a way to, to rationalize and justify uh, engaging in things that aren't very godly. And I think that's a dangerous proposition. Well, I spend time at the bar because that's where Jesus would be if he was alive today. Yeah, but his posture might be different when he was there. They regularly, they regularly questioned the people that Jesus hung out with. And they regularly questioned him for doing it. And it didn't seem to throw him. A woman that had been married multiple times over and so much so that the man that she was with wouldn't even give her his name. A short Horribly confused chief tax collector 
Let's talk about some of his disciples. Not a bunch of world scholars. A woman caught in adultery. A young lady coming out of a life of prostitution. A highly religious man who had lost his way. Even Roman soldiers were were impacted by him to the degree that they would make the statement, surely this is the Son of God. A number of years ago, Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote a song and he said this, A vacant house comes alive when somebody moves inside. A light in the window says someone's home. I say Jesus lives in me. But can people really see? The light of his love as he lives in my heart. We talk about here at Calvary, love God, love people, love the world. That's what we're about. Love God, love people, love the world. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go, preach the gospel, make disciples. Baptize those who are willing. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's a great great commandment, great commission. Next Sunday, we're going to have a dear, dear friend of mine who's an amazing young man. I, I, I've, I've wanted to hire this guy several times, and uh, God has different plans for him. He's headed to Europe, and, uh, and I, I want you to meet him and hear his story, the story of um, he and his family. And he's, he's willing to go. It's what we call a missionary. And I'm glad that as a church that we can support missions. And we do. We support missions. We will, we will give over a half a million dollars to missions this year. But the mission field isn't just Africa. And it's important that we're invested in that. It's important that we give in that. And God will flow resource through you to impact the world. But our mission field starts just outside of these doors. Sometimes, sometimes that means doing something unorthodox, even crazy. I had the opportunity to sit down this week to talk to Jim and Lisa. Jim and Lisa have been engaged in a successful career. 
lived in upscale neighborhoods. Some time ago, God spoke to them and said, I want you to move out of your nice house and I want you to move into an apartment complex that I choose. Why? Because over 90% of the people who live in apartment complexes don't know Christ. So they sold their home, they moved out of their home, and they live in an apartment complex here in the Orlando area as missionaries to that apartment complex. Jim and Lisa, Jesus lives at your house because he lives in you. And before he would talk to your neighbors about God, he's going to talk to God about your neighbors. He's going to, he's going to have compassion and concern for them. So much so that he's going to invest time in them. Sounds like doing dinners and things like that, right? Some of the stuff that you guys have already been doing for a while. He's going to take risks. I have no doubt that you've had friends that go, Jim and Lisa, I think they've gone nuts. Really? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to move out of your house and you're going to move with your children? You're going to make your children go from having uh, this nice house and nice neighborhood and you're going to move into an apartment that somebody else gets to choose? Yeah, y'all have gone crazy. God loves people more than anything. God loves people more than anything. God loves people more than anything. I'm here today because as a small child, a couple would come and knock on our door every Saturday and say, are you coming to church on Sunday? And then they would get to church, not five minutes after church starts. No, no, no. They would get to church three hours before church starts to get that church bus running. And they would drive and pick us up, sometimes doing crazy things to try to convince us to come. We, I remember one Sunday, they did barnyard days, okay? They had farm animals on the bus, a goat eating the back seat out of the bus, no lie. Watermelon Sunday, they put watermelons in the seats of the bus. That was a bad idea because that looked cool when they first started, but the first stop, there's watermelons just all over the floor of the bus. But it was great because the watermelon was kind of sticky, so you stayed in your seat. As a messed up high schooler, family would say, we believe that God has spoken to us and said, we're supposed to welcome you into our family. Really? You're going to take that kind of risk? Bring somebody into your house that can rob you blind? Have that type of interaction and influence with your children? That's crazy. But I'm here today as your pastor and friend because someone was willing to take a risk. They didn't just share their faith, they showed it. They invested time because they had compassion and concern. And they spent a lot of time on their knees and on their face before God. 
I'm convinced that each one of us here, that there are people in our life, some of which possibly we need to apologize to for being so judgmental. But definitely, God's called us to be a missionary to them. You know what a missionary is? It's somebody who has a mission. That makes you a missionary. And so, here's what I want you to do today. You all got a bulletin. There's a pin in that bulletin. I want you to take on that bulletin or on a piece of paper that you have, I, I want you to take a moment before you leave this morning. I, I'm, I'm not going to bring you to an altar. We'll have opportunity for, for prayer, for, for, for special needs um, but before we go. Um, but before we do that, I want to ask you to find a piece of paper, get that pen, And I'm going to ask you to write down two things. Number one is I want you to write down a question. Here's the question. God, what do you want to change in me? God, what do you want to change in me? Maybe this goes back a couple of weeks to our, our, the, the, the message that we looked at on judgmentalism and jealousy. And there's still some work to be done. Maybe it's anxiety. You're fearful about taking a spiritual risk because you're, you're afraid of how that might turn out. God, what do you want to change in me? So Jesus living in my house is a reality, not just to me, but to the people around me. So number one, God, what do you want to change in me? And then I don't want you to write this down yet. The second part, I don't want you to write it down yet because I want to pray for you first. But I want us to pray this morning and I want you to allow God to give you three names. Three names. That he's going to have you pray for. That he's going to have you show compassion and concern towards that is going to have you invest time in, not just sharing your faith, but showing it, and taking some spiritual risks to see them come to Jesus. Don't write their name down today and run and, and, and this afternoon beat them up with a Bible and tell them well, how much of a sinner you are. What ho, you sinner? Don't do that. Jesus did not confront Zacchaeus' sin. Zacchaeus dealt with that on his, on his own. Right? And his impact as one of the early church fathers was significant. There are people in your life that, that the enemy has been able to really pull aside. And God is giving you the opportunity, the privilege, the joy of being a part of their journey back home. 